You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You're listening to Marketing News Canada. Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Well, welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am thrilled to introduce you to Saul Klein, who is the Dean and Professor of International Business in the Gustafsson School of Business at the University of Victoria. Saul, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, inviting me, Darren. Oh, it's amazing. So, most people don't know this, but it kind of they may have seen or read your research before. But tell us about what you put out every year from the University of Victoria that uh, brands love and, and agencies love. Yeah, so we do this study every year. We've done it for the last year on trust. Um, we call it the Gustafson Brand Trust Index. But essentially, we're trying to understand what drives trust from a consumer perspective, and. We do a ranking looking at how different brands perform on that index, but the real reason we do it is to try understand the drivers of trust with the idea that ultimately we think that we're all better off if uh, we have more trust, if brands are able to build more trust with consumers, if consumers and citizens have more trust of each other, we think the world works much better when people trust each other. Amazing. And I don't know how much you can dig into, like, you know, how the sausage is made or how you go about it, but can you tell us about maybe kind of how this index started and, and, and the process yeah. by which you get this data? Yeah, so we started this about eight years ago, really because we were worried about what we were seeing around us. We're seeing that um, in many of the institutions in our society, people were losing trust, whether it was government, the media, international institutions and as a business school we thought well this isn't this isn't really great so what can we do to try raise the sensitivity around trust and also show how trust why trust matters and from a business perspective it's quite fundamental and we think about who we want to do business with 
it's generally organizations that we trust. It seems pretty basic that we don't want to do business with somebody we don't trust. Now, the more interesting piece for us then became, well, what drives trust? Um, it's one thing to be able to show, and we do in, in our research, um, demonstrate that trust is strongly connected to purchase intentions or likelihood to recommend a brand. So we're not going to you know, talk positively about a brand that we don't trust. So then we get into well, what's driving it. And we've created a model that involves three different elements. The first two are pretty well established in the marketing literature. The third one is something that we think is becoming even more important. And it's one that we're highlighting as a way to demonstrate um, what it takes to build trust into the future. So if we think about you know, the, the drivers of trust, there's one, the first one that most people will recognize pretty, um, pretty easily is trust is about keeping your word. Trust is about reliability. From a brand perspective, it really translates into um, very functional features. And we, we also call this brandability, the ability of a brand to deliver on its promise. Things like, uh, are the prices seen as delivering good value for money? as product quality high. Those kind of things are, are very functional um, characteristics of a brand. And so we have a few items that we measure that constitute brand ability. Then secondly, we recognize that trust isn't simply an objective thing. Trust is about the relationship that individual consumer has with a particular brand. And consumers develop a strong relationship or a sense of affinity with the brand based on other characteristics. And those characteristics, Leo, generally, how does the brand relate to me as a consumer? Do they communicate honestly with me? Do they fix my problems when something goes wrong? Those are relational-based elements. So we've got the functional and the relational, which are pretty well established. The third um, dimension, which we added to the understanding, is really around what we're calling a brand authenticity or more value-based element of trust. And it's not enough to provide me good products and services or even to provide or to treat me well as a customer. I also expect the organizations that I'm doing business with to behave in a socially responsible way. So when we look at brand or authenticity, we look at things like um, environmental consciousness, um, social contribution. Do I believe that the brand respects and protects the environment? Do I believe that they treat the employees well? Do I believe that they're making a positive contribution to local communities? And what we believe is happening is that brand um, affinity and ability are pretty well established. And the newest element in that repertoire is around authenticity. And in some ways we look at it as a kind of hierarchy and, a, and an evolution in the market, where you know, if we go back to most of the 1900s, brands were marketed and people bought them primarily on the functional basis. And we think of it as being a product-based economy. Then we moved into a service-based economy, which was all about relationships. Now, in 2023, we think we're on the cusp of a movement to what we're labeling a value-based economy, 
where, again, it's not that the things we're doing before don't matter anymore, but rather the things that we were doing before become table stakes. So relationships became important once consumers were relatively confident with the, um, the quality and the, the, the reliability of the products they were buying. And then they said, well, in addition to that, we want you to treat us well as consumers. And that became the point of differentiation. Where we're at now is we think that it's harder and harder to differentiate a brand based on the service dimensions or the relational characteristics that the next thing that truly is going to differentiate brands is going to become values, uh, value-based. And those also become, are also the more sustainable pieces because in some ways we can reverse engineer, we can copy somebody's products. We may even be able to copy the service delivery model, but it's very, very difficult to, to, um, to copy their values. And if the values are things that we as consumers are buying, they become the ultimate differentiator. It's amazing. And the way you gather this information every year, does it look like uh, surveys or in person? or yeah. how, how do you tell us about that process? Yeah, so the, the data collection side is, is a big initiative. So we're measuring at this point, consumers' trusts in 400 different brands. Wow. Um, they're all national brands and they have to, consumers will respond to them through a survey methodology. They first have to be familiar with the brands. We don't ask somebody to respond to a brand that they're not familiar with. And then we have a battery of questions. Each consumer responds to about 20 different brands in the battery and they get randomized. In total, we interview eight to 10,000 people a year. Wow. Like, like um, over Zoom or is it? Yeah, how do you do it? No, we use an outside market research house to do it. Um, that's their expertise. Yeah, perfect. They can put together a nationally representative yeah. sample. Like Ipsys or Leger, um, one of those? Um, yeah, it, it was asking Canadians. They've been rebranded themselves. I think it's Sago. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. That's that's incredible. And, and how does someone like a brand get on that list? Because I'm sure every brand wants to be on that List. Um, it's an interesting question. We do get requests from brands. Generally, we determine um, the brands we want to survey based on um, selected product categories. And we make sure that we're identifying and we use you know, um, third party data to identify the market shares of different categories. And we make sure that we measure all of the leading brands or the major brands in any particular category. Then in addition, we throw in a few other brands that might not be leading in terms of market share, but we think are doing things that are really interesting. And we're trying to track um, the disruptors in a sense, as well as we're tracking the, um, the established brands. That's incredible. And, and we're not going to find out who they are today. This is just a, a, a muse bouche to, to the, the results from this year, correct? Exactly. We hope this is the appetizer. Uh, we will be reduce, uh, releasing our results this year at the end of June. End of June, yeah. And uh, until then, we've got all the data in. We're in the process of analyzing it, trying to understand what's happened in the market. Mm -hmm. And as you can guess, there's a lot of change from year to year, particularly coming out of COVID. Yeah. And that's something we've been looking at very directly. We think COVID changed a lot of purchasing behavior, a lot of um, people's views. And even last year, we reported out that 
um, the value-based elements during a time of global tension were becoming more and more important. So, you know, we were all in the pandemic together and we expected brands to be responding um, from as a you know collective approach, not not simply looking after their own self-interest. And brands that try to be really protective and say, okay, you know, we'll cut spending, we'll cut everything and just keep the core of what we're doing, didn't do as well last year as brands that were seen to be making a positive impact, seen to be doing things for the common good. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Do you see, um, and, and heard the term B Corp, or does that pop up in the, the results at all? Like, are, are they having an impact? Um, we, we think so, but we don't specifically ask them about corporate structures, yeah. um, but certainly as a B Corps have a social purpose and they have a different mission. So you would expect those kinds of brands to do well, at least on the, the brand authenticity piece, the value-based. Yeah. They may or may not do well on the other aspects, on the functionality and the, um, the relational ones. Amazing. One thing we have noticed over time is even going back to some of the early years of the study, um, brands that or organizations that had some kind of a membership base yeah. tended to do better. And we think that's because they have more information, more understanding of their, their customers who are their members. And there's a, a more direct feedback loop. So for example, you know, co-ops yep. tended to do quite well. Other membership-based organizations, you know, organization like Costco yep. has historically done quite well. Um, so we, we, again, you look at the ownership structure and we use that as a way to try and understand whether it's having a positive impact or a negative impact. Yep. We've looked at brands where the ownership has changed yep. and try to see, does that matter? Um, and I mean, this isn't anything that's specific to this year's results, but a number of years ago, <clears throat> we really looked at what happened with to Tim Hortons. Yep. I mean, they were the iconic Canadian brand. They were doing extremely well in our trust study. Mm -hmm. um, then they they were acquired by a, um, a um, by essentially ultimately a Brazilian owned um, company, and that had an impact. Mm -hmm. Now, it might be because the ownership changed, or because the new owners changed the way the company was responding. But we have seen a lot more friction, for example, between franchisees and franchisors over the years with Tim Hortons. And we think there is something about that ownership structure that makes sense. I'm not sure yet what this year's results look like specifically for them. Even if I did know, I wouldn't tell you right yeah. now. Yeah. But it's, it's the kind of thing we look, we look at quite carefully. Amazing. So those that don't know, tell us about the school that you uh, work at, that you represent, and, and some of the stuff that you guys are doing. Yeah, um, so I'm Dean of the Gustafson School of Business at the University of Victoria. We see ourselves as really a niche business school, one that takes a different approach to management education, at one level trying to get a more integrated, holistic view of business. So even though we teach marketing and we teach accounting and finance and all of that, we try to teach those things in an integrated way. So our students will, will major in things like international business or entrepreneurship or services management, um, rather than the traditional functional specialization, 
because we want to see them as interconnected. Um, business problems don't come with a label attached to them and say, this is a marketing problem. They're a business problem. And if you're trying to address a marketing problem, you may have to be looking at your HR practices. You may have to look at your operation structure. So from the outset, our programs are designed to get students to think more holistically. The other key dimension or key um, differentiator for us, if you think about our brand, is it's around that sense of purpose, that organizations have a responsibility to the society in which we operate. And we believe that it's critically important that leaders and managers understand and take those responsibilities personally, that we want our graduates to recognize that they have a responsibility clearly to themselves, clearly to the organizations that employ them, but also to the society in which we live. And, you know, we're at a point in time when there are serious and growing challenges facing the world we live in. And we think that business has to be part of the solution to those. And too often business is cast as the problem. What we're trying to do, and the brand trust index is just one example of how we're trying to, to implement that, is help people recognize that not only is there no conflict, between doing well and doing good, between doing the right thing and being financially successful, but rather one drives the other. That if you really are looking for long-term success from a business perspective, you also have to be doing things, the right things, from a moral or ethical standpoint to get there. And that again, you know, we live in a world where climate change is a reality. We expect businesses to be able to, to start to, to make more of a difference in climate change. We see enormous inequities in our society. We see greater polarization. Um, those things are not good for business, let alone for everybody else who's living in the country. So as a business school, we take on that social purpose, that sense of mission in a very direct way. Incredible, incredible. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience by listening to the Capital Ideas podcast today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How often do you hear someone going into you know, a meeting or going to their agency and say, hey, can you please help me increase my trust 
it seems such a you know, unique thing that someone would use, or even the term trust being used. Yeah, well, we think they should, and we think it's actually being driven, and the business logic is being driven from really at least three different groups of stakeholders. Yeah, the trust index is really looking at it from a consumer perspective, and ultimately that's about revenue growth. But from a, an employee engagement perspective, trust is equally important. And particularly right now, if we're in a, um, a world where it's becoming more and more difficult to attract and retain talent, trust is an important driver. And people don't want to work for organizations where they don't trust the leadership, they don't trust the, the sense of purpose. Yeah, way back when I went to business school, you know, people almost used to say, well, you know, park your values at the door and come in and work for us. Um, people don't believe that. People believe that they want to work for organizations who's, who are achieving a, a broader purpose. And then the third set of stakeholders um, that's increasingly important are investors. And investors are saying, I want my money to be generating a return for me, but I want it to be also having a positive social impact. And we're seeing that driven by some of the large pension um, pension funds, the institutional investors, particularly those who have a very long-term view. And they're saying that, yeah, this makes a difference. And we think trust is really the almost the currency of the new economy. It's incredible. So we're doing another episode once the uh, new data comes out. What can we expect uh, in that episode? What, maybe what are maybe some of your predictions or what, something that we can kind of get excited about? Um, well, again, we look overall what's happened since last year. Um, we look at which are the most trusted brands across close to 30 different categories. Um, but the reality is the comparison doesn't always make sense if you're looking at a brand that has no connection to you. So uh, if you're an airline comparing yourself to a supermarket, probably doesn't have that much relevance. So while consumers or respondents to our survey don't look at, at um, brands in the context of a category, when we describe the results, we look at categories. So we look at what's changed. So what's happening in, uh, I'll give you a peek preview, look at the automotive category carefully. We're gonna see some big changes this year. Mm -hmm. um, other categories are more stable, but you look at what's happened in the world around us. So, Again, partly coming out of COVID, partly related to the nature of the economic environment we're in. So you would expect some changes to be reflective of the, the state of the economy, high inflation that has an impact on how brands are perceived and what people are looking for from those brands. And that's the kind of thing we'll be talking about. We generally highlight, you know, five, six, seven major stories um, that we think are, are really interesting. And then we talk broadly about what's happened within categories, across categories. We're looking for trends. We now have you know, eight years of data. Wow. So we're looking at you know what's happened over those eight years. Um, there's some brands that have been on, uh, on the positive side, a fairly consistent upward movement. Some have gone consistently downward, and we'll talk about those. And then the other ones that we find interesting are the ones in which there's been a turnaround. Mm. And it's generally a case when something goes wrong, 
we see that impact on trust. And then the interesting question is whether or not the brand's able to rebuild trust, able to recover. And the recovery, um, as you'd expect, is generally slower than the decline. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always happen. Uh, one of the things we found in the past is that the reason why trust eroded matters. So if something happens to you by accident, mm -hmm. it will have an impact on your trust, but you'll be able to recover more easily. Then if you did something that was deliberately wrong, mm -hmm. that killed your brand, it'll take a lot longer to recover. Yeah. And I'll give you two examples because they're not part of this year's. Yeah, thing. yeah. Um, we've, over the years, done an, in, looked at an interesting contrast. Brands that don't compete with each other at all, but um, reflect those different characteristics. One is Volkswagen, and the other, other one is Samsung. So VW had a major problem, as you know, seven, eight years ago, when they were basically found to be faking their emissions data and underreporting it. They dropped to the bottom of our trust survey and have slowly, slowly been recovering. But it's pretty drawn out. It's very difficult for them to recover because people see that that wasn't an accident, that this was, this was deliberate deception, and that's harder to recover from. In contrast, a couple of years ago, Samsung had a problem with their phones where their, their batteries were actually set, um, setting themselves alight. They were overheating and, and, and catching fire. And remember being on a plane in those times, you were always asked, you know, does anybody have a Samsung phone or a particular Galaxy model? And, and you were asked to be particularly careful about that. So the year after that happened, we did see it a significant drop in trust for Samsung. But we saw the following year that they were able to recover pretty well. And part of the reason is nobody actually believes that they designed their phones to be combustible. Okay, This was an accident, it was a mistake, it was something that they took seriously and fixed, and therefore they were able to recover. Not immediately back to where they were, but it took them a couple of years to get back. So that whole issue of not only how do you maintain trust, but how do you repair trust when, once it gets eroded is an interesting thing for us to look at. Oh, that's huge. That's huge. Um, we're going to talk in a couple of weeks. It's going to be, we're gonna, we're, people are excited. People are looking forward to it. Uh, for you, books on this or resources or recommendations when it comes to trust and, and growing trust for your organization, because people are already thinking about it right now. Like, is there a resource? Is there a book? What can people do? Well, I'd say, if, first of all, if you want to get more understanding of what we're doing, just go look on our website. It's the Gustafson School of Business, and you'll find copies of our previous trust reports. And that'll give you a sense of where brands um, have been over the past couple of years, as well as some of the interesting stories. So you'll be able to read about you know, Samsung and VW. Last year, we did some interesting work around Amazon. <clears throat> so I think that's a, that's a great place to start. Um, there's more, I mean, today there's, there's a lot of people talking about trust. One of the classic books that really has influenced my thinking about trust uh, is driven by, uh, was written by a guy called Francis Fukuyama. Um, and it's simply entitled Trust. I mean, it must be 
15, 20 years old at this point, mm -hmm. but it's still quite fundamental because what Fukuyama does was showed why trust really matters to the wealth, to the functioning of a society. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have trust in the world, it's not a fun place to be. And we tend to invest in other kinds of activities. Um, another way of looking at it, one of my colleagues um, in, the, in the business school has a wonderful model when he talks about trust as being both a glue and a lubricant. Hmm. So kind of paradoxical. Yeah. Trust is a glue because it holds people together. If we don't have trust, we kind of go off in our own different directions. Trust is also a lubricant because it makes transactions easy. So I think what happens if we don't trust somebody that we're engaged in a business dealing with, what's the first thing we're going to have to do is ensure that we've got much stronger um, contractual protections. So we'll try to write you know, these complex legal agreements that will specify every eventuality because we don't trust that the person's going to behave honorably to begin with. If we trust them to behave honorably, then we don't need that. So the lubrication piece is quite important because it facilitates transactions. Um, otherwise, you know, we end up only doing pe doing business with people that we know, and that ultimately is going to be much more limiting in terms of having an impact on our society. No, hundred um, percent. So we'll make sure we put links to that in the show notes of this episode, and people look forward uh, two weeks from now. Uh, we're gonna have an episode. We're gonna go. Um, live with this information. It'll be exciting. I think it'll be important. And I think the most important thing will be is how do you apply it to your own organization, your own brand that you represent, uh, or that you the multiple brands that you represent as an agency? How can you grow that trust? Yeah, and I think that's particularly important because trust is something that has to be built into the culture of the organization. It, it is about values. And you don't inculcate values through directives. It's not you know, it's not a rules-based system that drives trust. It's the culture of the organization. And we think about the organizations that we like doing, doing business with. It's because the people in that organization behave in a way that reflects their values. And we've chosen that organization because we buy into that value system. So all of those elements become really important. Trust, in another sense, also becomes the control system. So, you know, if you're worried about what your people are going to do and you have to put in place all kinds of rules to govern their behavior, you're never going to completely control all of their activities. On the other hand, if they themselves buy into the values of the organization and they behave to reflect that, then the trust becomes the control system and allows the organization to do a much better job. And again, we see it in our consumer interactions every day. Um, when we go into a, a retail environment or we work or we talk to somebody even on the phone and we get a sense, are they just going through the motions or do they really care about us as a consumer? Um, are they trying to hoodwink us into buying something that we don't really need or do they really understand that they're building a relationship for the long term? Do they reflect the kind of things that we think are important as a consumer and connect with us at that, at that kind of value-based dimension? That becomes important. Oh, Saul, this is incredible. I, I am so thrilled to find out who's going to be the uh, 
I guess, can you call them winners? Do you call them, kind of, what, what, what term do you give them? We do. Call them we winners. say, we, we call them the most trusted brands in Canada. Yeah. So each year we'll bring out, we'll, we, we, the full list is available on our website, yeah. but we'll generally talk about the 10 most, the 10 most trusted brands across the board. Wow. And then we we'll usually talk about the most trusted brand in each product yeah. category. Amazing. And it would be interesting to correlate that with how is their bottom line doing, right? Or how are they doing financially? We've done a little bit of work in that. Yeah. It, it's hard to do. Yeah, because some are public, some are private. Yeah. Public, private, yeah. multi-brand, single yeah. brand, Canadian versus global. Yeah. We've done a little bit of work on that and found that at least for the small sample where we have Canadian single brand public companies, mm. trust is a leading indicator of revenue growth, yeah. which makes sense. Wow. That's incredible. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you again, Saul. It's a huge pleasure to have you on. I've already, this has been amazing, kind of covering all this ground that we've never talked about on the show. So this is really awesome. Well, great. It's been my pleasure, and I look forward to chatting again in another few weeks. All right. Thank you for joining us this week on Marketing News Canada. This was the uh, teaser, you could say, to the upcoming uh, Brand Trust Report Index. A report from the Gustafsson uh, School of Business over at the University of Victoria. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you in a couple weeks with the uh, big announcement of the winners. All right, see you next time on the show. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.